Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Check this out, y'all. Hello, what's the word? Welcome back to uh, the Read a Book podcast. I am your host, uh, Sean Little. You can find me uh, across the internet at I am Sean Little. Uh, excited to connect with y'all, continue these conversations, um, and build a conscious culture as we uh, get into the discipline, the rhythm, the habit of reading together, talking, uh, and cultivating conversation. And I am joined by uh, my guest co-host for uh, the full duration of Divided by Faith, uh, JB. What's up, sir? What's up, my brother? How you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. Good. Just chilling. Um, and JB, where can people from the jump find you uh, online? Uh, online, you can find me, of course, social media, um, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. My name is spelled J-A-B-E-E. Um, those are probably the, the easiest ways. But if you put my name in there, J-A-B-E-E, uh, it should come up. Yeah. Um, I was checking your Instagram just this week, sir, and it seemed like you had a cool concert. You opened up for Run the Jewels. Yeah, that was Wednesday. Uh, how was that show? Uh, it was dope. We had fun, man. You know, uh, I've toured with Run the Jewels before, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and so they were coming through town, which they had never been to OKC. So, oh wow. Uh, you know, I just I, one day L just texted me and said, you know, uh, are we gonna open up? And I was like, all right, dope. So I was there. That's great. Cool, yeah. So, again, at I am Sean Little, uh, and you can find JB. Uh, my name is JB across the internet. To connect with us, holler at us. We look forward to continuing uh, conversation and building. So, as you all know, uh, as we introduced uh, last week, the, the book and uh, my co host, uh, myself and JB, are discussing uh, and reading with all of you, Divided by Faith. Uh, the subtitle Evangelical Religion and the Problem of Race in America by Michael O. Emerson and Christian Smith. So what we're discussing uh, on this episode is the introduction uh, to the book and then chapter one and two. Uh, and then you can check the reading schedule uh, you know, on both of our social medias as well as fourthdistrict.com backslash read a book. Uh, we have the whole schedule available so that y'all can rock with us. Uh, and probably from the jump, I need to say thank you uh, for everyone who's choosing to rock with us. For those of y'all who uh, have purchased the book, people have hit me uh, personally who hit us at fourth district. Uh, it's been cool to already see that it's sort of uh, buzzing. 
that people are, are engaging. Uh, and we're looking forward to uh, hearing more of your voices. So I have some con, uh, I'm sorry, comments from online that I'll uh, plug in throughout this episode. But we also want you to let, know that you can call and leave a voicemail uh, at 470-722-0782. So as you're reading with us, uh, Divided by Faith, you can call and leave us your thoughts at 470-722-0782. So to get the ball rolling, uh, in the introduction, we uh, are introduced to this idea of uh, religion and the racialized society. And I think that's an important uh, term to hold on to from the jump, the racialized society, because they return to that often in these first couple of chapters and will uh, continue to be the framework for uh, the rest of this book. But Basically, we see uh, this juxtaposition, uh, and you read this in the introduction, uh, that they're going to look at two um, of the most dynamic, controversial, long-standing, and unique aspects of American life, which is evangelical religion and black-white relations. Um, so before I continue just on the introduction, JB, uh, any did anything catch your attention uh, from the intro? And it was brief, so maybe not, but did anything catch your attention no not really from the intro um, sure uh i guess starting the first chapter is really what what stood out to me the most yeah. okay dope but let me uh highlight one sort of important uh quote at the end of the intro uh which is from uh, billy graham who said that racial and ethnic hostility is the foremost social problem facing our world today and so in the era uh the mid-century era of billy graham um, he even at that point uh, was communicating what seems incredibly relevant today that racial and ethnic hostility is the foremost social problem facing our world today. So Divided by Faith is an assessment of evangelicalism in black-white relations. Uh, hit me with some thoughts from Chapter 1, JB. Um, I guess probably what, what for me, the, the story about the... Um, about the the black guy in the driveway. Yes. You know, um, even before that, uh, let me see. And so the Stop story it. goes while you find while you find your place. Uh, for those of you who are reading along, you'll remember um, that there's a story of uh, basically one of the white authors who is driving in a primarily African American neighborhood, uh, and some teenagers cross in front of him, and they foe shoot at him, and that was sort of a one-time experience that he had had, but it stuck out to him. And then uh, sort of a parallel story of multiple African Americans, but then one in specific who is driving in a primarily uh, white uh, neighborhood or part of town um, where he's uh, sort of spotted by a police officer, followed. Uh, he's actually driving to his house, by the way. Um, and as he pulls into his house, uh, the police officer blocks his driveway, uh, turns on the police car lights, orders him over the loudspeaker to get out of his car with his hands away from his body. Yeah, uh, let's see. So that first part, yeah, I, I totally think about the first story. Um, that's why I was asking you about the author because I mean, ah, man, I you know, I know a bunch of kids. I know a bunch of kids. I know a bunch of hood kids. I know, and man, it just—I don't know if that. I want to say it. It just sounded like like a movie, not like a real life story. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like 
and they could be because I don't relate to it, you know, because the other story in the driveway to me sounded uh, sounded familiar, sure. and sure. I definitely related to it. But the other story, I was just like, do I know any kids? Even like the most like terrifying hood kids I know, would they even like even care to do that? In yeah, a sense? yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I. Yeah, but I get it, and it, you know, maybe from the jump, it did seem like sort of a way to juxtapose, uh, right, the experience of the white man in his car in the African American neighborhood, and he says, "Oh, that's my experience of of being an other in a neighborhood." Um, but I was going to ask you uh, that, you know, as I read the the, the story about that African American guy who got uh, tracked by the police officer, pulled over. Um, that did strike a very familiar chord in my experience. Um, has something like that ever happened to you? Yeah, um, a couple times where either, because um, there are some neighborhoods here in the city that, you know, we just know, especially, you know, uh, years, like a few years ago, like, I mean, even now, but there are neighborhoods and um, spots in, in even Oklahoma City where it's like, man, if you black, you don't drive through there, you know what I'm saying? Uh and just because like if you've seen that neighborhood they automatically think you're you know you're casing you know what i'm saying you're casing houses or you know or just up to no good you know so um and i've been pulled over just to see like you know who's who's in the car where are you going why are you over here you live over here and it's like man like i'm just cutting through to get you know what i'm saying to get get to somewhere right you know but um but because you don't have a nice car and because you're you're black then you you're suspicious mm-hmm. and um i've I've been pulled over before and told that um you know I fit the description of somebody mm. that they're looking for and it's like like how how could you even how could you even know that you know by um by from driving behind me you know what I'm saying right. and uh there was one time where I was driving and like we're in a neighborhood that was uh, like a more of a hood neighborhood, and you know, I guess like the the which what they would call like inner city or like I don't know what people what people say. But when you say hood, what are you talking about? Give me some of like the defining characteristics. So, okay, whenever I say hood, I mean like a neighborhood for black people. You know, uh, low income, like you know, black people. Yeah, and so they're so, hand in hand to you, neighborhoods. Uh, with primarily black people, that equals uh, low income, or often it's synonymous. No, uh, I mean like when I say, I guess like hood is like uh, a way to describe. Sorry, is that my phone? Blown up out to, here. Yeah, sorry. Dang it. You all right? Uh, hood is a way to describe like. Uh, I mean, like I don't like to use the term ghetto. Sure. You know what I'm saying? Because I feel like people people kind of play with that word too much, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I like to say hood or like just, you know, where I'm from. But but there are neighborhoods um, that are, that are you know, middle class, up middle class that are all black too. Mm-hmm. There aren't any in Oklahoma but <laughs> that I've seen. But, I mean, if you go to Texas, like Houston and Dallas have, you know, um, a lot of neighborhoods that are, you know, uh, upper neighbor, upper or middle class neighborhoods that are predominantly black, you know. But um, so, so not to say like if if it's the hood, that's just you know, black people are 
only black people live in the hood or sure. they black has to be the hood, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, so not at all, but so I'm driving and I got my daughter in the back seat and like, I'm driving and I could see probably like, I could see, I was coming over kind of over a hill so I could see probably like, I don't know, five or six streets ahead that a, that a cop was turning on the street I was on from like a major street, you know? Mm-hmm. So so he he would have been driving west and I was driving north, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So he, he turned south and so he had to pass me because I was going north, right? And so, um, and so before he even turned, like as soon as I seen in front of his car, I look and I had just pulled out of my friend's driveway, so I had I didn't have my seatbelt on yet. So I put my seatbelt on before he even turned the corner. I had my seatbelt on because I saw his car, right? Mm. And so um, you put it turned, on because you saw him coming. That's what I be on. Yeah, I, I, I saw <laughs> I saw his car, and it it just reminded me to put put my seatbelt on. Yeah. So keep in mind when I saw his car, he could have been going straight or turning. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And so, um, so he ended up turning down my street, right? But I was so far, I was so far from him, like, you know, it was just a cop car. You know what I mean? I couldn't have, t- I couldn't have told you who was in the car. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it, I was so far from him, it, could, it might not even been a cop car. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So finally, we 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 drive past each other. I didn't even look at him. I didn't even look at him. I just, I was just driving like. You know, I like I've heard about like the, how how like if you if you make eye contact, like they have a thing. I can't remember what it's called, but I think it's called the look back. If you if like if you're walking down the street and a cop cop drives past you and they look in the rear view and see you looking back, mm-hmm. they 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 frown. You know what I'm saying? Like that's an actual that's like an actual um, thing that they do. Yeah. You know, what I mean? and the same is true if you're driving. So if you're driving and you kind and they see they can tell you looking, mm-hmm. then that's that, that look back will be cause for suspicion and pull you over, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't even be looking, you know what I mean? So we drive past, and then he he puts he flips his lights on, gets behind me, and pulls me over, right? And so I'm like, I'm like, dang, like what, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, and so he pulls me over, and he uh comes to the door, and I'm like, you know uh. You know, you know, I don't remember what I said. So, anyways, he gets me out the car and whatnot, and and I'm like, so what's going on? He goes, well, you saw me. I saw you put your seatbelt on, and I'm like, I'm I'm like, nah, you didn't. You didn't see me do that because I know when I put my seatbelt on, my seat. I was I put my seatbelt on when you was way up on Twenty Third Street. There's no way you could have seen or me put my seatbelt on. I know when I, because I told him, I said, you know what? I didn't have my seatbelt on, but whenever I put it on, it was before you passed me. He was like, no, nah, you you put your seatbelt on as I passed you. I'm like, no, I didn't. Yeah, that's you know so what I'm hot. saying? And so I'm like, I'm like, I know for sure I didn't. You know what I mean? And so then he's like, let me check your information. And he, he, uh, he, you know, runs my name and whatnot. And then comes back. He's like, I'm like, I'm like, man, what's really going on? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, I didn't like how you looked at me when I drove past you. And I go, are you serious? You pulled me out of my car because you didn't like how I looked at you when I drove when I drove past mm-hmm. you. I said, I put that on my daughter in the back seat. I didn't even look up at you when I drove when you mm-hmm. drove past me because I knew if I did, you would pull me over. You know what I'm saying? So like, if you trying, if you just trying to, you know, to run my name and see and see if you can catch something on me, go ahead. You're not gonna find nothing, but don't. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, but be for real. First, mm-hmm. it was the seatbelt. You didn't like how I, how I looked. Mm-hmm. But you can't pull me over because you didn't like how I looked at you. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, but if it, if it wasn't for my daughter being in the back seat, I might have went to jail just for just because I was mad about it. You know right, what I'm saying? Right. Um, but because she was in the back seat, I cut it short and made sure that I got home safe. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But, but how, yeah, just stuff like that. Yeah. How... Um... You know, as you think about your social circle, your friends, your network, for African-Americans specifically. And, you know, I was having a conversation this past week because I tweeted something out. <clears throat> I tweeted a question that we'll talk about uh, a little bit down the line. Um, and I had to hit up some of my African-American friends. Be, uh, let me let me go ahead and read the tweet. I had to hit up a couple of my African-American friends because I'd be like, man, I don't. I'm not trying to start nothing here. I'm not trying to like say the wrong thing or get it twisted. So a lot of times, especially, you know, because we live in such a sort of uh, triggered time, um, I'll just holler at people and be like, yo, you know, what's this, what's this sound like? Is this okay to say whatever? Um, And so my question was because I only wanted to ask African-Americans, not because they're the only people of color, but because specifically that's what this book is primarily dealing with. And I realize that not all people of color are African-Americans. Anyway, so I asked a question uh, and I had to call on the opinion of African-Americans. Uh, and my question was, have you ever been approached by a police officer as a result of mistaken identity? Um, so would you say yes or no to that question? I would say yes. And then for your sort of subset of people, right? So the, I mean, your social circle, do you think that's limited to you or in general, do you think that happens to the African-American people that you know? You dig what Um, I'm saying? Like, is it only you or have you heard that story elsewhere? Oh yeah, I've heard that story elsewhere. I've had, I, I was, I went to jail because of mistaken identity. You know what I'm saying? Like, what? You know what I mean? I told yeah. them what you mean. <laughs> Tell me that story. So, uh, so I was in the mall, and it was it, this is like 2014. I was in the mall, and um, and uh, we were only in there. We were only in there for probably like five minutes, you know, if that. It was actually me and my friend Julie, who was right here. And so, uh, so she was going to, to look at a dress or something. And I said, I'm gonna go upstairs to the food court and get something to eat real quick. I'll be right back down because we both had something to do that night. Like I had, an, I had a show, and I think she was going to a party or something. You know what I'm saying? So what night we was about to go walk around the mall and shop. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We, we was about to be in and out. And the, the funny thing is, is like I think about this stuff, everything now, and um, like it had, like for instance. Like to be going to get a burrito from Taco Bell. Like I don't eat that now, but I didn't even really eat it back then, so I don't even know what I was doing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, um, so and I had my hood on my head, which I wear my hood on my head all the time. But uh-huh. what makes what makes it so weird is that I remember I remember wanting to go get a haircut and putting my hood on my head because I needed a haircut. Mm-hmm. But I don't even care. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not even in me to care about stuff like that. You know what I mean? So I just feel like. Like everything just was, I don't know. Like yeah. the stars just aligned that yeah, day. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I get to the, I'm walking. I don't even get to the food court, and um, like these four or five security guards kind of surround me, and they're like, "We we told you that you couldn't you couldn't be in this mall with your hoodie on." Golly. And I'm like, I'm like, nah, you ain't told me that. They go, yeah, we did. We told you no hoodies in this mall. Hmm. And I said, I said, um, 
I said, man, I literally just walked in here. Mm-hmm. I ain't, y'all haven't said one word to me. And they're like, no, nah, we saw you with your video camera. We told you no hoodies and stop videoing. And I'm, I said, man, it's 2015. Who, who got a video camera? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Y'all, y'all got the wrong person, you know? They're like, no, nah, you don't, they took off your hood. And I said, listen, man, I'm a grown man. I'm not taking my hood off. You know what I'm saying? Well, if you don't want to take off your hood, you, need to, you gotta leave this mall. And so I'm like, I'm like, man, like, are you serious? So, you know, we, we going back and forth and it's, at this point it's almost becoming a scene, you know what I'm saying? And people are walking by going, man, you all right, JB? You straight, you good? Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, okay, I, you know, I don't like, I don't like how that look. So I go, okay, uh-huh. I'm gonna leave. I, I'm gonna go ahead and leave. So I'm, I'm walking and they're following me the entire time. And so I get down to, down to where my friend is to walk out the door, actually to get the keys to the car to go to the car, right? Mm-hmm. And the officer is right there. And he's like, oh, you don't want to leave? You're going to jail. And I'm like, I'm, the door is right there. I'm leaving. Oh, and like, and, uh, and so when, they, when, they're, when they're walking me to, so before that, I used to work in that mall when I was a kid. So I knew where they take you to, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. to uh, do the report and whatnot. And so I asked him, I said, um, can we walk around like outside so I don't, gotta, I don't gotta walk through the mall with handcuffs on, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? He was like, he goes, man, you know you like this kind of stuff. This is what y'all like. And I'm thinking, oh, are you man. serious? You know what I'm saying? Like, is this happening right now? Man. And I go, I go, well, listen, um, let me get my phone out of my pocket so I can call my mom, let her know, because she has my daughter that I'm, that I'm, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and he's like, well, you, uh, just call her when you get to CIC. You get to, you go to CIC, you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. I go, I'm not, and that's where they take the kids. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I go, bro, I'm a grown man. I'm not going to CIC, you know what I mean? And so, and so um, they end up taking me to jail. Anyways, uh, the whole time they thought it was somebody else. So while I'm sitting in jail, uh, uh, another kid, they drop another kid. They, they, they brought in about four or five kids from the mall. Huh. But it was, it was another kid while I was in there that, um, that uh, said that he saw me and knew that they was talking, they was, they, 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 thought, they, they thought I was him. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And I went to jail that night. That's crazy, man. And so I wonder if, you know, even hearing that, I wonder if the crazy part is, is that for you and in your experience, that's probably not that crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, I told that story whenever it first happened. I didn't, I didn't, you know what I'm saying? I didn't tell nobody about it, you know, like that. But I've told that story to different people. And what, what, what amazes me is that some people are just like, well, why don't you just take off your hood? Or why did you argue? Or why didn't you just leave it in the beginning? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And it's for what? I didn't do nothing wrong. Right. You know what I mean? Right. That seems like a perfect bridge. Sort of two ideas. First uh, is one of the comments that popped up from this last week uh, as we introduced the book and read intro and chapter one and two. Um, a gal named Jessica Crawford. Jessica, if you listen to this, thanks for rocking with us. Uh, talked about why she had picked up this book. She was recommended, uh, divided by faith by her uh, boyfriend, Michael, and another fella. Uh, and so she is a Caucasian. And here, I don't know if y'all ever think about this. Like the term white, and the term Caucasian, and this will transition us to the next topic, those don't, like, they're not objective. You know what I'm saying? They don't mean anything. So a lot of times I'll be struggling with the language that I want to use because it's like, okay, we have African American people as a subset of people, but what I am as a white man is a European American in the same way that JB would be an African American. So I struggle with the language because white 
doesn't really mean anything that were and they talk about this later on in chapter one but there are there were italian americans say polish americans german americans a host of european americans who existed as a subclass of people who at a time in american history were racial minorities but then over time they were uh, baptized into whiteness and so whiteness is not as objective as european american or italian american german american french american you dig what i'm saying so that is yeah. just tricky language for me but the bottom line is jessica crawford is a white girl and here's what she said about getting the book she said i'm just beginning uh, to really begin this journey of trying to understand what the black community has and is going through what i can do as a white person and also how the church plays into it definitely not something that will happen overnight so this book is the beginning to a lifelong journey it's going to be difficult but i'm looking forward to hearing conversations about this book and continuing my journey she said some more things y'all can check it out online uh jessica just want to thank you for adding your comments uh for everyone else who's listening to this and reading along you can comment uh, at fourth district you can also holler at jb and myself online we'd love to hear from you um but i guess i want to give her props uh and I really, you know, I think that in in just the era that we live in, I think it's easy to, um, I guess, brush people off and say, this is what they're into, or this is the group that they're with, or this is the hashtag that they rock with. And that's not what I'm interested in. I'm not interested in creating sides or division. I'm interested in different people coming to the table and having conversation. Um, so if you're not there as a white person, but you're still listening uh, with us, I want to thank you for listening and reading and rocking. But props to uh, Jessica for you know choosing to engage and develop and grow. Um, and Jessica, and for everyone else, hopefully JB talking about his experience sort of gives you uh, a way to step into the shoes of someone who is not like you. And at the beginning of this conversation, JB, before I asked you that question, I said that it struck a familiar chord uh, in my experience because a good amount of my African-American friends would all affirm that something like that has either happened to them directly um, or they're sort of one person or two people removed from someone in their life uh, interacting with specifically uh someone in authority might not be a police officer uh but specifically around the idea um of their race and again in the introduction we're given this idea of a racialized uh, society and then they begin unpacking that uh and so two things to draw out that i think are important about the racialized uh society uh, one comment there on chapter, I'm sorry, on page six, uh, says race is ultimately tied to the American experience. Uh, Swedish researcher Gunnar Myrtle called uh, race, uh, the racialized society, an American dilemma. Uh, gone on to say that uh, race and the racialized society is indivi uh, indivisible from American life. And so what the racialized society um, is about is that race is a social construct um, in America, and not only in America, uh, but it's it has two functions. One, 
race has to do with physical characteristics uh, that are used to classify people, right? So at the mall, they were looking for a black body, a black male. Um, and then two, race is socially constructed insofar as select physical characteristics have social meaning. So something, JB, about your blackness at the mall meant something. Something about the way that you looked as that police officer passed you uh, meant something. And that's sort of evidence uh, of the racialized society. And so as they continue on in chapter one, uh, presenting the case for the racialized society, uh, sort of around page 12 uh, through 16, we see sort of uh, several representations of the racialized society uh, along the lines of inequality. So we see residential inequality, we see economic inequality, we see health inequality, um, and then there's a really interesting comment about music on on page 15 that I want to ask you about in a second. Uh, But you know, I guess interact with that, JB. When you think about uh, America being a racialized society and the evidences that they're putting forth say that we can see that insofar as there is inequality uh, in regards to where African Americans and, uh, let me just say it, black and white people live, black and white people's money and black and white people's uh, health or their access uh, to health care. Interact mm-hmm. with that. Does that, what do you think? Yeah, I, th- I, think, you're, I think you're right. Um, um, you know, and the, the thing about it is, is that we know that as black people, we know that because, um, because we we live it and deal with it every single day, but that isn't that isn't something that like that um, that isn't something that I feel is I guess like common knowledge to the common person who, mm-hmm. who ain't black. You know what I mean? You know, just because like they you know like um, how do I explain it? Let's okay. Let's let's say. Let's say healthcare, for instance. Let's okay. No, no, no. Let's let's say um, let's say like just the the let's say welfare. Okay. Now, um, you know, welfare, food stamps, Section Eight, all that stuff, right? Now, those those are things that you know um, have been put in place to help families and people in need, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know anybody on welfare or on Section Eight that like it's it's a come up like like you know what I'm saying like yeah. like man I finally got my my, my Section Eight you know what I mean right. like if, it's, if if that's the case then it's you know their situation um, was so bad that 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 is something to look forward to you know mm-hmm. but it's not a um, it's not a a um, a situation to where okay now I've made it and there isn't anything else to work for like mm-hmm. you, you, after that you're trying to work to get off of section 8 to get off of welfare right yeah well well like we like I've seen you know to where and that and it doesn't I, like one of my friends uh, his his family's on welfare his dad is there he's a white dude 
They have uh, he has three brothers and sisters. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and, and he's his dad is like in his sixties. Hmm. You know, um, and you know they get they have um, you know a, a food stamp card and all that. Hmm. But the picture that we see are you know single black moms. You know what I'm saying with five kids right. and you know four baby daddies and yeah. you know what I'm saying. And it's like it's like those. Um, it's like what makes his family and her family um, any different, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, I guess the point I'm trying to make is is that is that for 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 that specific um, for that specific situation, being welfare, being Section Eight, you know, mm-hmm. for a black person to have it is one thing. For a white person to have it is something totally different. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean, mm-hmm. so if if a white person ha- has it, a white person is on it, then you know. And I'm I'm not saying that this is this is the uh, this is the way everybody looks at it. Right. I'm saying this this is the way it gets looked at by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. All right. And even if they don't say it, they don't, or it's not, you know, it's not. Um, they don't say it, you know. You can tell by how they talk or how they, you know what I mean. Sure. There's just in certain situations that they think it, sure. they feel a certain way about it. But you know, uh, uh, an older white man, you know, with four kids, whose wife just died on um, on welfare. Okay, he's trying. He's trying to um, to uh, help his family. Right. You know, a young black girl on welfare who pro- who who. Who doesn't even have as much life experience as a as an old mm-hmm. white man? Saying, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she's just abusing the system. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like, it's like, um, it's like, it's it's just a a one sided thing, you know? Yeah. And and that's just that's just that's just that. Okay. We can look at like you said, um, uh, healthcare. You know. Um, uh, I have a friend. I can't remember who I was talking to, but they were they were complaining, complaining. And I oh, I got to make this quote though. It's it's by uh, it's by Lil Webby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Lil and Lil Webby had the illest quote about healthcare, but I don't even think he realized how ill it was. You know what I'm saying? I think he was just I think he was just saying it. But somebody asked Lil Webby. It's an interview online somewhere. He was like in a Walmart store or something. And somebody asked Lil Webby, they said, man, how do you feel about, I think they were, they were trying to catch him on like politics, right? And uh, they go, so how do you feel about Obamacare? And Lil Webby said, I don't think nobody would care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, but yeah. I don't I don't think he was thinking Obamacare, I think he was thinking like, does Obamacare, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I heard but, that in the JV song one time. Yeah. So yeah, and I, and I got that from Webby, you know what I'm saying? I was thinking, dang, like, like, you know that's that's for real. Mm. So when I think about about healthcare, I remember I can't remember who it was, but um, but it was somebody um, who wasn't black who was on Obamacare, and they were complaining about how you know um, how like all these black people want Obamacare, but. You know, for them, Obamacare wasn't wasn't good. You know what I'm saying? And, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and but it's like, but it's like, and I was trying to make them understand is, is like, for the same reasons you got Obamacare are the same reasons 
somebody black has Obamacare. Right. Just people who want help. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. It's people, people that want help. Now, you know, um, now, you know, when it when it comes to healthcare, like, okay, so here in Oklahoma, we have programs sooner care, right? Mm. Um, which you know I've been on sooner care or you know um, before, and uh, now you walk into a a, um, a doctor's office, you know, or you have an appointment, and you tell them you have sooner care then automatically they are, you know what I'm saying, like just because of the type of health care you have, mm-hmm. you know, you, you can tell the demeanor changes, you know what I mean? Sure. Whether, whether they don't think you have a job or you don't make enough money or whatever, yeah. or they be, oh, they about to be working for free, they feel like, you know what I'm saying? Right. I mean, it's like, it's like, listen, man, like all I want is help. All I want yeah. is health care, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. If, if I could choose to, if I could choose something different, if I could choose a, a doctor that wouldn't look at me funny because I have sooner care, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, like all, all that stuff. Or, or it's like, um, you know, they, they, uh, I don't know, man. I, yeah. I, 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 I think the point is that, is that, you know, a, a lot of those things that are available for people right regardless of what color you are Mm -hmm. um you know for blacks to accept those things um as opposed to somebody white it comes with the stigma yeah you know yeah you know and i I think that's an important you know idea that they're trying to get across with the racialized society is that uh, there's hierarchy to it so there's meaning to uh when there's hierarchy, that means someone is above or in charge. Someone is more valuable. Someone is below, subject to their less valuable. So there's meaning to hierarchy as well. So, you know, for like your example, uh, for the, the white man to be on welfare versus the young black female to be on welfare, there's different meanings associated with that. Now, uh, are those meanings true in the general sense? Are they false? I'll leave that up to you to think about and to process. But each of those comes along uh, with a narrative, right? JB, like you said, that um, she's just trying to take advantage of the system, pimp the system, whatever it is. And I actually am fairly confident that the statistics on welfare specific, the vast majority of welfare recipients are uh, Caucasian. They're white folk. Now, we can play the numbers game and say, well, there's more white people in America than black people, but the statistical percentages of each group that draw welfare far uh, go to uh, white folk. But again, the the big idea um, in the racialized society is that there's hierarchy um, and there's meaning. I just want to draw because I do think these uh, examples trying to flesh out a racialized society, um, specifically dealing with uh, inequality. I want to draw some of these um, examples. So the residential inequality, what they say, uh, and y'all can find this on uh, page 12. 
is that segregation is not merely separation, but in the contemporary U.S. is hierarchical. Residential segregation by race, researchers show us, isolates African Americans and concentrates poverty and social problems in their neighborhoods. This is evidence of a black-white racialized society. And so I'm a white dude, 30 years old, born in 84, 80s baby out here, you know what I'm saying? I can't think of one time where someone would say, oh, don't go to that neighborhood uh, actually meant don't go to that neighborhood because it's a white neighborhood. And actually, let me let me pull back that statement because for my people who are in Evansville, Indiana listening to this, there is one neighborhood uh, who people may hesitate uh, advising going to or driving through, which is called Jimtown. Uh, and Jimtown is in large the uh, concentration of poor white people. Uh, but again, I think the indication of the problems in Jimtown uh, are economic problems, right? So it's a bunch of bo- poor people, and because of their economic reality, they'd be wiling out, they'd be doing drugs, increased drugs, increased violence, increased crime. And so that's why people were advised to not go uh, to Jimtown, which takes us to uh, the second representation of inequality, which is uh, economic inequality. And, and again, this is here on page. 12 and 13. Uh, They go on to say that wealth and not income is used to create opportunity to secure desired stature, standard of living, or pass on class to someone's children. So wealth, um, what you have, you know, so what you have minus what you owe, what's left over there is wealth. And it's just a fascinating statement towards the end of that section that is uh, juxtaposing white wealth versus black wealth. uh, And far and away, white people in America have more wealth uh, than black people. Um, And the statement is, in regards to economics, when white America gets a cold, black America gets pneumonia. And I just thought that that was a fascinating uh, line when we think about economics or dealing with money and the hardships that can, you know, be the reality of not having enough money, having money at all, uh, that when white America gets a cold, uh, black America gets pneumonia. And that just transitions well to this last piece that I want to talk about. And then JB, I'll flip it back to you. Uh, inequality in regards to health, health care, um, well-being. Uh, let me read this to you. And again, you guys would have found this on page 14. Um talking about areas of health that diverge by race. African-American babies die at a rate over twice the frequency of white babies. African-American mothers are four times more likely to die in childbirth than white Americans. And young African-American males are six times more likely to be murdered than are young white American males. Wow. So just to let that, you know, I mean, to, to Jessica and to the Jessicas who are uh, reading this book with us and thinking about life in someone else's shoes, um, that is, that's devastating. Um, they go on to transition and they make a comment uh, about music and JB, you know, you're a, an African-American guy. Uh, you make rap music. And so they juxtapose uh, rap music with rock and roll music. Uh, and I don't know if you remember this section, but 
I just thought it was fascinating because they talk about rap being anti-authoritarian, um, mm-hmm. asserting its independence from the authority of police and the authority of the white power structure in general. Um which is perceived by society as a threat to society, what they go on to say. Uh, so I'd just be interested in whatever came to your mind that uh, what rap is, is anti-authoritarian, seeking independence from authority and the white power structure in general. I mean, I, um, yeah, I remember that, that part. Uh, I was trying to find it, um, you know, I get, I, I'm in Oklahoma City, and I get asked this question all the time, like, um, when do you think somebody from Oklahoma City is gonna blow on the rap scene? Uh-huh. And my, my answer is, is always, um, you know, for one, I don't know, but if someone ha- does blow from Oklahoma City, or, you know, as a rapper, he'll probably be white. Hmm. And I need to move to reasons- Oklahoma City. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why is because uh, kind of for the same reasons you just read you know um, you know whenever okay this this is Oklahoma so our we're, for one for one for for anything hip hop or urban we're a secondary market right huh. and then um, you know when people think of Oklahoma City you know it, it is country music you know um and that's probably it, music-wise, you know. And so, the average person who in Oklahoma City, whether whether they're they are a hip hop fan or not, um, if they are white and majority are white, because um, you know the majority of the population here is white, right. for a, a black person to be to rap, it's just what you said. You know what I'm saying? It's it's um, uh, I, don't, I don't remember how they, how they worded exactly, but yeah, I think it's there in the middle of fifteen anti-authoritarian, uh, seeking and, independence from uh, authority and the white power structure. Um, right. So, so that that right there in itself, you know, is what um, is a threat. Is it's threatening? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And um, and on top of that. You know what? I, where I'm black, so I'm supposed to rap. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, ain't that what I'm supposed to do? Right. So, for a white kid to come out rapping, then it's like, you know, it's unique. Even though there are a million white rappers, but mm-hmm. for Oklahoma, you know what I'm saying? It's unique mm-hmm. and it's a lot safer than somebody being anti-authoritarian. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I said that right? Anti-authoritarian. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot safer, right? And you know, um, so you know, it's of course you know we're gonna we're gonna go with you know what with what. Um, so the, if the majority of Oklahoma is white and the majority of Oklahoma feels that way, then the the um, then it's obvious that you know what I'm saying what they're gonna get behind would be the white kid. So when you think about uh, rap and and or hip hop and rock music. Now, um, man, I you know I, the the book kind of doesn't talk about this kind of stuff, but it 
it, when, I, when I think about you know rock music and all that, it kind of, it, I have to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, this but, is Professor JB, ladies and gentlemen. So if y'all looking to enroll in a hip hop studies class, this is your man. <laughs> so, um, whenever you think about you know rock music, right? Even though whenever, even though, um, you know the modern the modern rock music. Um, is and you know as far back as I can remember was you know that anti-authoritarian you know right and you know and that's you know that's not even that's not even talking about how um, how you know rock and roll you know was in a lot of ways stolen from black people and mm-hmm. stuff like that but but when you think about let's okay let's start with Elvis right it was it, you know, the kids liked it because it wasn't what their parents listened to. Sure. You know what I'm saying? The kids liked it because it was anti-authoritarian. The kids liked it because, you know, for that time, it was, you know, um, rebellious. You know what I mean? Almost. But, and then so on and so forth. You think about the punk rock scene, you know, in New York, uh, whenever it started and stuff like that. That's you know like that's really what it was. It was it was you know I hear stories about how it was dangerous. You know what I'm saying? For sure, to be, dude. To be in the punk rock scene, um, you know back then, right? So, but, but because, okay, so if so like we oh, sorry, so we have we have that we have we have as musicians you and I we know. Uh, we understand that that rock was that at its in, in its time and sure. and still is right. Sure. Okay. Now let's now let's look at rap. Now the difference is is that um, that rap and hip hop is a culture that you know um, was undeniably you know urban, undeniably black, yeah, unden- undeniably like you had like. Yeah, born from, I mean, born obviously from black Latino peoples in poverty and also and also in the current era. Right. And and exactly. And exactly that. And it was birthed out of circumstances that, you know, black and brown kids were going through. Right. In the the 70s, you know what I'm saying? In the 80s. Right. So. um, So with that. And you gotta think about in the seventies and eighties what was going on in New York that created hip hop, right? Um, you know, about, you know, the, the blackout and the and all the, the vacant buildings and how they were uh burning them down and you know, uh the politicians were saying, Well, if they don't care about themselves, why should we even care about them? You know what I'm saying? Right. So on and so forth, right? So you got you got all of that. Now, you got that on top of how they how we already look at black people, right? So we already look at if you go. I mean, go back in history to um, to uh, what's the movie called? Um, darn it, the movie. Um, hang on, let me think. I might have been blank. It's a. It's the first. Uh, it was like one of the first films. Um, yeah, you're talking about where they do blackface. Birth of a Nation. Yes. Right. So, so think about Birth of a Nation, right? And since then you know and, and how they how they not not only did not only were blacks um did they do black face but they made black people um like you know the woman in the movie um 
they had the black man raped the woman in the movie. Yes. And the woman in the movie was so, so devastated that she 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 killed herself. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like she was black. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So so um, and that and that is a that is that is a a um, an image that black people have carried since then. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So so when you whenever, when you get all the way down to music, you get all the way down to hip hop, right? Anything, any any form of art, any form of expression, any anything that we do, you know, if that's if that's an identity that's been placed on us, you know what I'm saying? And you know, our art is gonna look like that to through the eyes of, of people who have been um, given a false image of what black people are. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you think about um, so you think about think about it like this. So Eminem did the you know about Eminem in the in the uh, in the what he did on the BET Awards, right? Yeah. The cipher. Yeah, yeah. Talked about Trump and all that, right? Um, you know, let's just say like you know, um, you know, Smarty Black did the same thing, right? It wouldn't, it, you know, what I mean, that's what we do. We complain about the government. We're, we're anti-authoritarian, so. Yeah. A bit of, it wouldn't even been a big deal. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You, you know what I mean? But but because Eminem did it, you know, he's white. He's on a bigger platform. You know what I'm saying? Like it's a, it's a big deal. It's huge. How can he? You know what I mean? Like how can he have the gall to do that? Yeah. But if somebody that's that's for, like so that's the reason why I say like somebody asked me about Oklahoma. When somebody from Oklahoma blow up, it'll be a white person first for that very reason. You know what I mean? And so when you think about rap, rock and roll, and you think about hip hop, no matter what we do in hip hop, we're always going to be the the um, anti-authoritarian. Always going to be the the um, the uh, the troublemakers. We're always going to. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so we we can you and I could go on and on of how many awesome hip hop artists out there are that don't that that make great positive music right but but will never but you know what i'm saying you can play the song to to somebody white and they'll hear a to- totally different thing right you know what i mean yeah yeah and i guess several thoughts come to mind i mean the idea that they're exploring uh with the contrasting rock and roll music to uh, rap music and the perceived threat of both of those heavy metal music versus rap music the perceived threat of heavy metal music is that uh, the lyrics are trying to drive home autonomy so it's only about the individual um, whereas the perceived threat of rap music is that it's not only about the individual it's about society it's about the threat to society uh, based along anti-authority, anti-police, anti-white power structure. That's how it's perceived. Even though in large, you know, and a lot of my hardcore friends, so my my man Clint Vaught comes to mind, uh, came up in the hardcore scene and they'd be wiling in that, dude. Like little mosh pits and all that junk. I'm like, yard, yard, something else. But he and I have had a lot of really good conversations about the similarities between the hardcore scene, uh, heavy metal and hip hop culturally but the sort of indivisible fact is that one subculture is white one subculture is black and because of the hierarchy of the racialized society which they're on about here in chapter one that means something right uh and jb you were talking about you know sort of an ongoing narrative which 
man, there was a fascinating uh, quote in here along the lines of, if history is our best teacher, then we better pay attention to her. Uh, And just to objectively deal with the history of America seems to be a gigantic uh, issue. Um, And again, the reason why, I don't want to necessarily get into that, but if we could just objectively sit back from our predispositions, our politics, our opinions, and say, okay, this is this is the history of America. This is what happened, and so you got to know, uh, you know, where you're from to know where you're going to know where you're at. And I just feel like that that is hugely lacking in a lot of the conversations about uh, America, race, uh, and the reality that we find ourselves in today. Which I said this last week. Look, it ain't nothing new. There's nothing new going on. And just because social media is popping and there are more news outlets, it may feel um, like something more dramatic or chaotic is happening in society. My opinion is that this is just another day uh, in the life of America uh, and specifically the the suffering of black people. And I'm not necessarily saying that uh, all black people only suffer at the hands of white people. So don't write me off as some liberal. Uh, But the suffering of black people in America is like, that is the story of black people yeah. in America. Um, anyway, so let's, you know, pull it back to the book here. Uh, we're coming up on time. I want to be sensitive to y'all rocking with us again. Appreciate you rocking with us. You can add your voice uh, at fourth district. We'd love to know what you're thinking, how you're processing, what you're um, dealing with as you read through uh, divided by faith. Uh, so not only can you add comments at fourth district, but you can also call and leave us a voicemail at four seven zero seven two two zero seven eight two. And if you're looking to cuss out me or JB, please leave us a voicemail. We'll delete it. It'll be all good. We'd love to hear from you. Um, so again, going from the idea of uh, inequality based, you know, in, in residential inequality, economic inequality, and then health inequality, um, there is this fascinating transition that I think will sort of transition us uh, and I don't think we'll be able to deal very well with chapter two specifically um, but we'll transition us us into the rest of this book Um, let me find it here so if we find inequality um, and division in those other areas of American life, then naturally we would also find it uh, in religion, in the church, uh, in religious affiliation. Um, and JB, you made a comment last week. You said, what's the first question that people ask about the church? Is it a black church or a white yeah. church? Um, and so their evidence here is that 90% of African-Americans attend predominantly black congregations and at least 95% of white Americans and probably higher attend predominantly uh, white churches. So that is sort of um, where we're going to begin to transition is in America, uh, sort of nationwide, macro, we see division, uh, we see inequality. And so when we begin to apply that to uh, religion as it expresses itself in affiliation and churches, well, duh, of course we're going to see uh, inequality and division uh, within the church uh, along the lines of 90% of African Americans in black only churches, uh, 95 or higher of white folk in white only uh, churches. And so that just affirms that idea that you were talking about um, last week. Uh, And there are a couple other comments I think 
that I want to draw as we sort of transition and, and we'll, maybe we'll try to summarize uh, chapter two. But before we leave chapter one, um, you'll find this in the first paragraph of uh, page 18. Uh, the authors talk, I think, sort of brilliantly about the, the power of uh, religion because it is an otherworldly idea or it's an otherworldly um Framework, And so we're not within religion. Uh, we're not only bound by the laws and reality of this realm, this world. Um, and so that has immense power in it. So again, here in uh, chapter 1, page 18, first, first paragraph, I just want to read this. Within the very forces able to render religion a legitimator uh, of the world are revolutionary impulses able to change the world. Because religion is oriented not toward the mundane, but toward the sacred or supernatural. It establishes a perceived objective reality above and beyond space and time. This reality acquires an independent and privileged position to act through its believers back on the mundane. And so maybe that whole idea is summarized in this one sentence. The seeds of change are planted in the faith. The seeds of change are planted in the faith. Um, anything come to mind? What's that make you think? Uh, what does that bring to mind, JB? Um, man, for one, it's just uh, definitely true. Um, but, you know, my biggest thing has always been faith. You know what I mean? And, uh, I guess you know regardless of so much can so, so many things can happen to a person whether it's you know um, you know personal or whether it's you know uh, discrimination or whatever but um, I think that the faith of a person or the faith the faith you have here, let me start over start over remember how last week we were, we were talking about how uh, you know a lot of, of my black friends are yeah, um, yeah. you know what I mean and so I, I guess like to sum it up you know what what keeps me what's up brother what what keeps me um, what what keeps me or keeps me here and keeps me going is my faith you know what I mean like you know and um because if it weren't like a lot of the things that have happened to me I'd be like dang like I, I'm out too right you know right uh my faith is firm you know if that makes sense yeah I don't, I don't know and so I think you're just affirming that same idea that because your faith system uh has to do with realities that exist outside of your physical material life Right. Like exactly. the whole of your existence is not only bound by uh, hoods in Oklahoma City, uh, the yeah, experiences that you have at the mall or with police officers when you're driving down the street. Um, and that as an indication of uh, I think what the argument here in the text is, that is sort of an indication of the black experience in America historically. Um, but -hmm. because your faith informs a a larger picture than that, you're able to not only be defined by that. Is that true? Right. Exactly. Yeah. 
and uh, not only be defined, but it's it's not a reflect. It's I can't. It's not a reflection of who I am, and it doesn't allow me to. No matter what you know um, happened to me in the mall, it doesn't you know. Or no matter you know what happened when I got pulled over, when the the next cop I see isn't gonna you know see. I'm not. I'm not gonna treat him like the one. You know what I'm saying based on the the one I, the interaction I had with the one before. Mm. Uh, for for time's sake, and uh, we'd love to hear from you guys um, online about chapter two because uh, we're not going to deal with specifics. But I will say a couple of things. Chapter two is attempting uh, to look at how Christians, particularly uh, evangelicals, have thought of race in the past and what sort of actions they've taken to address racial issues uh, from 1700 to 1964. So uh, in a matter of probably 20 pages, they deal with 265 years of American history and evangelical Christian history in America. Uh, And so I think there are two big ideas that I want to pull out, JB, and you can add some as well. Uh, But The first huge idea is that uh, evangelicals, Christians, view their primary task as evangelism and discipleship. So they want to tell people about the gospel and then train people up in the gospel. And because of that, they tend to avoid issues that they think will hinder this activity. So if I'm only trying to do number one and number two and number three actually matters to me as well, but if I say something about number three, if it's going to piss people off or marginalize me and if that's going to keep me away from doing one and two, uh, then I might go ahead and shut my mouth uh, in regards to number three. Hopefully that makes sense. And so because of that, And this is at the beginning of chapter two. Uh, The author is going to say that despite having the subcultural tools in religion to call for radical changes in race relations, evangelicals most consistently call for changes to persons that leave the dominant social structure, institution, and culture intact. So much of the 265-year history from 1970 to um, 19— I'm sorry, from 1700 to 1964 can be summarized in evangelical Christians tell people to change. They look at individuals and tell them to change. They don't look at institutions. They don't see institutions. They only see uh, individuals. And because of that, and this takes us to the conclusion uh, of chapter two, but like America itself, uh, evangelical religion has occasion, uh, occasionally helped to free people, but has been unable to bring them together or overcome uh, racialization. So that's a big, you know, macro idea about chapter two, just because of our time constraints here. Uh, JB, any thoughts on chapter two before we push to a conclusion? Um, no, I, I mean, what, what you were saying just now, uh, I was I was thinking about it and thinking about my church at the same time, mm-hmm. and um, you know, I, I'm not like I hear the word evangelicals and stuff, and you know, I was reading it in the book and people said, but I'm not sure if I really understand sure. like what it means, you know, um, or what the the correct definition of yeah. it is. Yeah. I like to, but just based on. Um, 
you know, the reading and based on what you were saying, um, um, I think that, I don't know, I think that's, I think that's, I don't even think, I think that's kind of how we all are at times, you know what I mean? I think we kind of, we, we kind of we, we all are that way, you know, where, okay. you know, where it's, it's like, um, you know, um, with, with changing, it's not like, okay, well, it's, it's not, it's not just me, um, or it's not just, you know, a person, it's an entire system and not just seeing that, not just seeing that it's not myself, but understanding like, okay, like maybe things are, maybe things are this way, you know, maybe things, maybe I'm, you know what I mean? Like maybe I should just look outside of myself and, and realize like, like, dang, like, you know, um, maybe, maybe the, all this is, is, you know, really happening, mm. you know, maybe it's, you know what I mean? So, um, that's why I start off saying like, you know, I never really, you know, um, because a lot of the, a lot of the, um, and I think I told you this before, like a lot of the, the Christian terms and stuff like that, like I'm just now kind of learning, sure. you know, sure. uh, and, um, figuring out, but I feel like, um, you know, and I don't even know if I'm an evangelical, but uh, right. I I feel like, you know, that description can fit us all. Sure. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there is truth in, you know, I, I think it's a both and. I think that people need to change, and I think that systems need to change. Yeah. I see that there's brokenness and ill in a system, and I also see that there's brokenness uh, and ill in individuals. So I do think it's a both and, but. Again, if you look at, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, nah, you got it. I'm just gonna say, like, for instance, like we, like, like it's a system in my life. Like I was telling you earlier, you know, um, you know about how I grew up in my family and like, you know, um, you know, just with my dad and all this stuff. And it's like, okay, well, that's the system that needs to change. Okay, yes. well, have I changed? No, <laughs> sure. I'm still doing. I'm still doing some of the same stupid stuff that he did. You right. know what I mean? Um, so, so and that and 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 that's the system in itself. You know, and uh, for but sure. the, difference, the difference is I can look at it and go, okay, um, this is a system that needs to change, and not go, well, it's all them, or it's it's him, or it's they. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but and and, and I. Yes, I affirm that, but I almost want to, I'm not trying to excuse anything, but when you look at your dad, his behavior, his habits, yeah. his choices, his choices, his predispositions, right? What he was born into. I think that has a history. I think that oh, has yeah. a story. Definitely. And, and that's another thing too, you know, and we could go on and on. That's definitely another thing too. Um, but, um, and it does nothing. There's, and, and not to excuse it at all, you know. Um, but yeah, that I, you know, I'm, 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 with, I'm definitely, I definitely agree. Like, I definitely agree. I definitely, I definitely uh, believe that a lot of the things that um, that have happened to me, a lot of things that I've seen in my life growing up, a lot of things that I've watched, you know, I, we didn't have any control over. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And um, and and the same for him and before him, you know, uh, you know, but. Um, I guess the point I was making is that, like, you know, um, you know, there that it's definitely a system, and 
um, whether, whether, whether I had a hand in it or, or, or not, or whether, you know, a lot of it was, um, you know, by choice, I understand that it was, it is definitely a system that needs to change. Yeah. And that isn't changing systems, uh, is messy, um, complicated, difficult, uh, takes time, takes unlearning, takes relearning. Um, and we, you know, we've done an incredible disservice to uh, chapter two. And so maybe we'll even talk about chapter two at the beginning um, of next week. But just for time constraints, uh, I want to I want to stay low here. Um, yeah. But I think the, the, the big point is, is that the, the church, uh, Christianity in America is informed by America, by the construct of America, by the history of America. Um, and so the job of the church has been seen as changing individuals and not changing institutions. Uh, we're going to talk about chapter two more next week, but also deal with chapter three uh, and four. So I guess in conclusion uh, for this week's episode of Read a Book, I want to thank you guys so much for rocking with us. Uh, JB, I want to thank you for uh, continuing as my co-host. I appreciate the conversation, the feedback, the perspective. Uh, for those of y'all who are trying to track with myself and JB, you can find me at I am Sean Little. You can find JB at my name is JB. Uh, and then also rock with us at fourthdistrict.com backslash read a book. We'd love to hear from you online and we would love to hear from you, uh, your literal voices at 470-722-0782. So next week we'll be discussing chapter three and four of Divided by Faith, uh, but we're also going to have a, a brief section to talk about uh, chapter two because it needs to be uh, dealt with. There are ugly, uh, harsh yeah. realities uh, that we'll deal with, but I'll be more mindful of time for next week. So thanks, y'all, uh, for rocking with us, for en enjoying uh, the conversation. We look forward to hearing from y'all. JB, thank you, sir. Thank you, my brother. All right, y'all, read a book. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.